Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. I want to speak to you part two from this morning. The prayer of favor. If you're taking notes, the prayer of favor. And I want to read in just a moment, Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1 through 5. And we're going to fill the atmosphere with the power of God's Word. For those of you that are frequent Bible readers and studiers, the book of Nehemiah is one of the history books of the Bible. It literally continues the story of Israel's return from Babylonian captivity and the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Nehemiah was a Hebrew in Persia, living in the palace of the king of Persia. And it reached him, and word reached him, that his city, the beloved Jerusalem, was in ruins, and it was in need of repair. And not only was the city in need of repair, but so was the temple. The whole book of Nehemiah can be summarized in this short sentence. Nehemiah invites God to use him to save the city. That literally encapsulates the entire book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah invites God to use him to help save a city. In chapter 2, as we're getting ready to read, in chapter 2, Nehemiah is describing what he has been doing. And he is the cupbearer in the house of Xerxes the king, or Artaxerxes the king. Many believe at this time, not only is he the cupbearer for Artaxerxes, but also the queen that is mentioned in chapter 2 of Nehemiah is none other than Queen Esther herself, which really takes on a whole other dimension in and of itself when you realize that Mordecai said to Esther, when you read the book of Esther, for such a time as this. And literally now Esther is sitting there, and she's going to have a hand or plays a hand simply by being there in her presence as Nehemiah asks for favor. When it says that Nehemiah is the cupbearer, you have to understand the history of that. The cupbearer was a very privileged position with the king simply because when the king would get his food, he was always in danger of assassination, and so the cupbearer would eat the food first or take a bite first, and if the cupbearer didn't fall over dead, well, then the king would eat. And that's why he is a wine steward. If the king was being brought some wine, the king would wait until the wine steward or the cupbearer would take a drink from the same cup, and then he would wait to see if this guy gags and falls over, then I know that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to die, but if he doesn't, then I'm okay. Can you imagine, literally, Nehemiah is taking his life into his hands every time he brings the king some food because the enemies that want to kill him. So we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 2, and it says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, What is it you want? Well, then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight. Underline that in your Bible or highlight it on your iPhone. If your servant has found favor in your sight, 
Let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Look at the latter part of verse 8, my favorite part of the whole text. The latter part of verse 8, it says, And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Friend, how you pray determines how you live. If you only pray small, ordinary, get-by prayers, you're going to lead a small, ordinary, get-by life. But when you have the boldness to ask God to fulfill his will in your life, then you begin to ask him to open doors that might otherwise never open. You ask him for the favor to take you further than anyone else in your family. You ask him for the favor to do the unthinkable. You ask him for favor to do the impossible. When you pray the prayer of favor, you'll see the greatness of God in your day, in your time, in your life. When you pray the prayer of favor, you see the greatness of, your, of God in your day and in your time. Now, in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, Nehemiah comes to the understanding of why he was in the position that he was in. And he realizes it's for the glory of God and for the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And he understood that if I just live in the luxury of the, luxury of the palace and I miss my purpose. Oh, don't miss this. Nehemiah understood if I just live in the luxury of the palace and miss the purpose, then I have missed the whole point of my position. I want you to write down in your notes, notes, purpose and position, purpose and position. And hear it again. Nehemiah understands, and he comes to the understanding because he's been fasting and praying. And he comes to the understanding, if I just live in the luxury of the palace and miss the purpose, then I have missed the whole point of my position. And that'll take on tremendous significance in just a moment. So Nehemiah, he begins to pray and fast in chapter 1. In fact, Nehemiah 1.1, it says, night and day that something good could be done to aid Jerusalem. During this period, Nehemiah had diligently tried to maintain his customary happy appearance whenever he was in front of the king. In my study, I found out that it was contrary to court behavior for a servant to appear sad if he was in the king's presence. Being sad in the king's presence was a serious offense in Persia. And you read that in Esther chapter 4 and verse 2. Literally, you can lose your head. If you look sad or you approach the king without being asked to come in, you could literally lose your head. In fact, this is what happened to one of the king's wives by the name of Vashti. Vashti approached the king and she was not extended the scepter or she did not, was not asked to come in. And the king cut the head of his wife off and replaced her with Esther. So you see exactly that he's de- what he's dealing with. Because it's believed to be a bad reflection back on the king. If you are sad in the king's presence, well, that can only be mean that it's because the king is not doing his job. He's not ruling correctly. It looks bad on the king. So everyone would put on a joyful, jovial face, no matter what they are dealing with. And nobody wants to look sad because no one wants to lose their head. And literally, Nehemiah comes in and he no longer can hide his countenance. And he's now looking a little sad. So Nehemiah begins to pray. Nehemiah was four months in preparation, fasting and praying, before he approaches the king. Look at verse 4. And the king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed, he said, to the God of heaven. Listen, friends, this is a two-second prayer. 
He's already invested time for four months, Nehemiah chapter 1, in praying and preparation. And now that he's before the king, it's one of those prayers, okay, Lord, here we go. It's one of those here we go prayers. Have you ever prayed those prayers? That's, you're faced with a situation that you've been asking God about. You've been fasting and praying. Now the situation is there, and you take a deep breath. <sighs> okay, God, here we go. I pray to the God of heaven. That's exactly what that means. And I answered the king. That quick prayer. May the prayer of favor, he said, may the hand of favor, if it favors the king, may you grant my request. Point number one, the prayer for favor opens closed doors. Would you say that with me? The prayer for favor opens closed doors. Say it again. The prayer for favor opens closed doors. In all the wonderful things that God did for the children of Israel, there are few things any more astounding than this. And more daring request was really never made. It had only been a few years since Artaxerxes had commissioned his men to bring a stop to the rebuilding and fortifying of Jerusalem. And you read that in Ezra chapter 4 verse 8. The amazing thing is that Artaxerxes granted Nehemiah's request, lock, stock, and barrel. All of it. Oh, please understand that a Persian king would never reverse himself at all. Because if he made a decision and reversed the decision, then his political foes would say he's wishy-washy and they would come against him. So a Persian king never went back on his request. And yet he sends Nehemiah now, accompanied by a full military escort, with full authority to reconstruct the walls and fortify the city of Jerusalem, the city he has destroyed himself. Unheard of. Unheard of. Only God could have caused a thing like this to happen. Only God can open doors that are closed to this magnitude. The impossibilities that were before Nehemiah and Queen Esther herself. And Esther realizes for such a time as this, I've been placed here for the saving of my nation. And then years later, she again has hand in just simply being there to see God do another amazing thing. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. This blows the mind of people who are watching your life, and they say, how in the world did they get that promotion? How in the world did they get that job? They don't have the education. They, they, they don't have the things I have. That's how people think. So how did they jump over me? How did they get placed in that position? It's the favor of God. And the favor of God is not fair. He's not fair. And here's how it works. God says, I have a plan, and I have a purpose. So boom, there you go. Here's a couple of gifts that you're going to need to get the job done. See, there are some people in this room right now that something just fell into your life. Have you ever had something just fall into your life? You don't even understand how it all happened or how it even got to you or how it even accumulated. It just comes easy to you. Other people are sweating and pushing and they're grasping and they're trying to do all kinds of things that you do and they're doing the best they can and they can't seem to advance. And they're looking at you saying, what in the world is happening? All the doors are closed to them. They can't seem to progress. But for you, it's just so easy. It just happens. God dropped some gifts on you. Listen, when God wants to promote you, he doesn't ask your boss. He, he doesn't check with your family or your friends. 
He doesn't call the head of the denomination to check with them if it's okay that he places you in a certain position. Or he doesn't call the head of the bank. He just does what he wants to do because he's sovereign God. Because you have honored him. You've lived a life of honor and integrity, and he pours his favor back onto you. Somebody shout amen. That should really make you want to shout. So say with me, the prayer of favor opens closed doors. Say it again, the prayer of favor opens closed doors. And again, let me explain to you how it works. As you walk with God and seek to be obedient to him, God will bless you for his purpose. Those blessings are uniquely yours. They belong only to you. They have a design, but God uniquely fits them to who you are. You have giftings and abilities that are uniquely yours. No one else can do what you do. No one else has the talents and abilities that you have. God gives you gifts. And the Bible said the gifts of God are without repentance. In other words, God never takes the gifts of man away. But what he does remove is his himself, his presence. If at some point you begin to grieve the Holy Spirit by your actions or the way you live, he'll remove his presence, but he never takes the gift. He blesses you with those things. Whatever your gifting is, whether it's your finances, there are some people that are so blessed financially, it just comes easy to them with numbers. They know how to work business, and they know how to strategize, and they know how to have vision, and they can use Wall Street, and it just comes easy. It's a, it's a gift. There are others who struggle with that, and they can't seem to make heads or tails out of a dime. The ability to sing is a gift. There are some that get up and they sing. It just comes come so easy. It's anointed. Wow, that was, they just make it look so easy. And then there are others that they, you try to take voice lessons and you spend all the money on voice lessons. And listen, mijo, just don't, don't spend that much money. That's not your gifting. You, you just sing in the shower. That's just you and God. Amen. The Bible says God loves a, a joyful noise. And you make it a lot of noise. <laughs> and then there's some that can, you know, like Pastor Doug, he can get up and sing like Frank Sinatra and play the drums and do it's a gift. There are some that are gifted, they're just good looking. It's a gift. And there are others you try to paint things on and you try to spray paint things on and glue things on and you know. Yeah, you're exactly right. You can paint a pig, but it's still a pig. It's a cute pig. <laughs> That'll do, pig. I love that show. It's a gift. There are some who are gifted with athletic ability, and they could just run like the wind. I got a, I got a kick out of uh, the coach of the Spurs, uh, Popovich. They, they lost the other night, and they asked him, why, you know, they said, hey, coach, why'd you lose? And he kind of looked at him like, you know, like only Pop can. He goes, really? Well, uh, we lost because they jumped higher, they ran faster, and they scored more baskets. And he turned around and walked away. That about summed it up. In other words, they were more gifted than us tonight. They jumped higher, they ran faster, and they made more baskets. See, whatever it is, the gifting you have, it doesn't make a difference what the blessing is. You need to understand there's a reason for the blessing. Oh, you didn't catch it. There's a reason for the blessing. 
an eternal purpose, a role for you to play in this amazing orchestra of God as the Holy Spirit is orchestrating. He is the conductor. He's the conductor of your life. He's the conductor of my life. He is putting things together for the glory of God. He is always pointing you to Jesus, and he'll use your giftings and your giftings and my giftings in a cacophony of worship and praise all for a purpose. Oh, come on, you can clap your hands for that, yes. You see, all of those blessings are tools to strategically maneuver you into a place of influence so God can fulfill his purpose in your life. Catch that again. All of the blessings are tools. The blessings you have are tools to strategically maneuver you into a place of influence so God can fulfill his purpose in your life. And influence comes from God. Paul talks about the power to persuade or influence men's hearts. The power and ability to influence men come from God. I was sharing at lunch with Pastor and Janet that I was in Arlington, Virginia a couple weeks ago. And I was there and the pastor leaned over and he said, I want to introduce you to the young lady who's leading our worship team at the conclusion of the service. And we were in the back, and her husband came in with her, and she, you know, she was a little half pint, you know, 110 pounds soaking wet, long blonde hair, really attractive young lady. And, uh, you know, the pastor says, oh, Pastor Ray, ask her what she does for a living. So I said, well, what do you do for a living? She said, well, I'm the chief, and I head up the chief for the secret service for Melania Trump. I said, get out. No way, you're just a half of nothing. She goes, yeah, I know, but I could hurt you. And I kind of looked at her, and her husband said, yes, she can. (laughs) And she went on to explain to me how she said, let me explain something, Pastor. She says, I enjoyed the service, and the the ministry was amazing, but when 90% of the people stood up and ran to the altar, that's what caught my attention. She said, because you don't know the people that were kneeling in that altar. I said, no, I don't. She said, but I do. And I knew the ones who were secret service were crying out to God. She said, that gentleman on the far side that you went and prayed with, I said, you mean that really big man, look like a gorilla with a blue suit? She said, yeah, he's secret service. And he's crying out to God. She said there was TSA and there was all types of government officials. She went down the list of the who's who VIP that were in that church. You see, it's God who gives men the power to influence She looked at me with tears in her eyes, and she said, to think that those people will get up out of that altar and walk in, some of them, to the White House, the Pentagon, oh, that'll make you want to shout. That God has his people strategically placed all over this country for such a time as this. If you believe that, can you clap your hands and just praise him for it? Uh, Likewise, he has you strategically placed at your place of business. One is not greater than the other. God is no respecter of persons. And he has strategically placed you there. All the blessings are tools to strategically maneuver you into a place of influence so God can fulfill his purpose as the Holy Spirit orchestrates these end times. Influence comes from God. Say that with me. Influence comes from God. Oh, come on, say it like you mean it. Influence comes from God. So God gives you the blessings, talents, abilities, 
because he has a purpose for your life. And the enemy wants to steal the purpose. The enemy wants to steal the purpose. Notice he will not try and steal the blessing or the gift. Instead, he will try and get you to use the blessing for your own glory. And that's how he steals and perverts God's purpose. We have an entire generation who have lost their God-given purpose. We have an entire nation who has lost their God-given purpose. We say in God we trust, but we really don't trust God. It's, we've lost our purpose. Satan is so diabolical. When you study who he really is, understand that Satan or Lucifer is not the yin to God's yang. He's not the equal. I know Hollywood would want you to believe that he's the equal to God. And in those movies, they show demon-possessed people and scared little priests who are dealing and this demon's throwing them around the room. I'm sorry, friends, that does not happen. Greater is he that is in you and I than he that is in the world. If you believe that, somebody shout amen to that. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The power of God, the same power that invaded that borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea is in you and in me. So the devil is not the yin to God's yang. In fact, you must understand that Satan or Lucifer is a created being. Just like you're a created being and I, he's a created being. He was an archangel in heaven that was given giftings. God doesn't take the giftings, but he removes his hand. Pride filled Lucifer or Lucent or light bearer to the point that he said, I will ascend to the throne of God. And you read that in the book of Isaiah. Pride filled his heart. It was the sin of pride that caused him to fall. And now the same thing that caused him to fall, he tries to do with you. He will never take the gifts of God out of your life, but he takes the purpose, causes you to live for yourself so that he can thwart the purpose of God. And the only reason that he was called Satan or deceiver, the Bible says he was cast out of heaven, and as he was being cast out of heaven, immediately that's when no longer is he referred to as Lucifer, but now he's referred to as the deceiver or Satan. And he will not try to steal the blessing. Oh, he's too smart for that. Instead, he will try and get you to use the blessing for your own glory. The reason you have that gift to sing is not for you. It's for the glory of God. The anointing to preach the gospel is not for you. It's for the glory of God. The reason you've moved into that position on your job is not just so you can have food on your table, clothes on your back, rings on your finger, a car in the driveway. No, no, God could have fed you without that job. No, the reason you have business and you're being blessed financially is for the glory of God. He's giving you the talents and the abilities. God can feed you without having a job. He puts you on your current assignment for his glory, not just for yourself. So tomorrow when you're walking into that job, I want you immediately, as soon as you get out of your car and your foot hits that parking lot, begin to say, Holy Spirit, what is my purpose here? Why have you placed me here? I, I believe you've got a purpose and a plan. Walking in that door, Lord, I, I know that my boss is the Antichrist, so you got to have, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you got to have me here for a purpose, Lord. 
Some of you will email and you'll say, Pastor Randy, will you pray with me? I'm the only Christian on my job. And I'll email back. That's why you're there. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. Have you ever gone through a difficult time financially? You're praying and fasting and tithing and you're being obedient and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. And then all of a sudden somebody comes and gives you a handshake, those hallelujah handshakes, you know, that have something in them. Besides the anointing, you look down and you go, glory to God. Whoa. <laughs> uh, oh, if you're Puerto Rican, you understand that. You just say, glory to God. Didn't know how I was going to pay that, Lord, but praise God. God does that for a purpose. Can you imagine how Nehemiah felt when the king of Persia actually granted his request? In the face of all impossibilities? In my mind, I imagine him wanting just to dance all over that place, but he's too dignified, you know. I, 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 have you ever, <laughs> you ever been in a situation where God answered you and answered a prayer, but you're in a place where you really can't praise him like you want to? So you say, not here, God. But inside you're going, not here, Lord. And you got to try to rein it back in, right? See, that's how Nehemiah felt. The prayer of favor opened closed doors. And he felt like jumping and shouting. So, friend, when you see someone rejoicing in church, maybe it's because they are so thankful. You might be used to the blessing, but to them, they need to praise him. So please don't get critical when you see someone dancing and praising. Don't get critical when you hear someone shouting, amen, or glory to God, or praise you, Jesus. Don't look over with a critical eye. You would get emotional, too, if you found a fire escape in your burning house. You'd get emotional, too, if God met the need for you like he met for them. Oh, the prayer of favor opens closed doors. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. And if we're going to reach our highest potential and fulfill God's will in our life, his mission for us, then we have to come to the understanding of the power of praying for God's purpose, God's favor, honoring God. We'll have to develop and possess the same boldness of the heroes of the faith like Nehemiah. Here's an eternal question. When's the last time you asked God to do something impossible or out of the ordinary in your life? I believe one reason we don't see God do great things in American churches is because we only ask for small things. Most people pray over their food. They pray for protection. And that's nice. They ask for God's wisdom. That's good. But I believe that's limiting the limitless creator. See, there should be something tonight that you come to the altar to pray for that is so impossible, that is so far out there, that you cannot achieve it on your own. Nehemiah, as well as the heroes of the faith listed in Hebrews 11, they dared to ask, and then they dared to believe. Oh, Nehemiah knew that the impossibilities of the king ever allowing him to go rebuild Jerusalem and pay for it. You mean, Lord, you're going to let me build a wall and they're going to pay for it? <laughs> you're slow, but you're worth waiting for, I tell you. Listen, your dream may seem impossible. You may feel you don't have the connections or the funding. 
but God is asking, dare to ask me to bring it to pass. Dare to ask me to connect you with the right people. Dare to ask me to flood you with my anointing and my giftings and my healings. Too many times we pray for small things. We'll begin to pray and we'll say, God, my child is making poor choices. Could you just turn them around? You ain't kidding. Turn them all the way. Now, that's a nice prayer. That's a good prayer. It's an ordinary prayer. Is that all you want? Do you only want God to help your kid make good choices? You know, my son, Quentin, uh, he graduates this May from the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. And yet, praise God, get him off the payroll. Lord. Yeah. And he called me last year in a panic. Hey, Dad, we got a problem. I said, we got a problem? He goes, yeah, we got a problem. I said, what problem do we have, Quentin? He goes, well, Dad, the problem we have is I parked my truck in the wrong parking lot here at the school. I said, baby, we don't got a problem. You got a problem. He goes, no, the problem is, Dad, I lost my keys. We got a problem. I said, son, <laughs> Listen, you're 21, 22 years old. You better get some more, uh, you know, jobs or whatever you got to do. Get some more hours at the little Italian restaurant you wait tables at. I, I don't have a problem. You got a problem. Yes, Dad, we got a problem. Quentin, how do we have a problem? Well, you see, Dad, they say they're going to tow the truck if I don't move it, and they're going to send it to impound. I said, Q, I'm telling you, son, we don't have a problem. You got a problem. You parked it there. You lost the keys. We got a problem. He goes, no, Dad, we got a problem. Son, how is it? You know, I'm trying to get it through the knucklehead's head. That How many have kids that are wonderful, but they're knuckleheads? Raise your hand, Pastor. He's sitting right over there. Just a knucklehead. And they... they <laughs> uh, he, he didn't hear what he said, but he said, he's, he's out of the house. It's not my problem. Do whatever he wants now. It's her problem. I'm sorry, you married a knucklehead. But they're wonderful knuckleheads, and we love them. And, and, and Quentin is trying to explain. I said, son, listen, let's slow down. Explain to me one more time how it is we have a problem. He says, okay, Dad, they said that if they take my truck and they impound it, and I don't pay for it, they're putting it on my school bill. We now have a problem. I said, why didn't you say that to begin with? And he said, I've been trying to tell you we had a problem. But he said, don't worry, mom and I worked it out. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. I said, well, how did you and mom work it out? He said, well, mom says that you're going to drive Sunday to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And you're getting up early. I said, yes. And Fayetteville is just an extra two hours from Oklahoma. So mom says you can get up really early. Yes, thank you, you were there. And drive from Springfield, Missouri to Oak, Arkansas and then to Tulsa and you can bring me the keys and it's only a five hour drive. I looked over at my wife and she was dying laughing. I said, thanks babe. So there I was on I-44, headed west, on the way to Fayetteville, Arkansas, to bring my knuckleheaded son his extra set of keys. And God and I are having a conversation. And I said, Lord, he's a great kid. Lord, he's a wonderful kid. 
but Lord, you really need to straighten this kid out. He's a knucklehead. Can you help him make good choices and better choices? And the Holy Spirit will use the most practical things to teach you the most prophetic truth. And the Holy Spirit whispered, is that all you want? Do you only want me to help him make better choices? I said, well, no, Lord. What do you really want? And I got to tell you, I was driving down that highway, and I was listening to Gaither Vocal Band, you know, and they're, they're, they were just singing up a storm, and, and I'm singing with them. Finally, I said, well, God, what I really want is I want him to be more of a threat to hell than hell is a threat to him. God, I want him to shake the gates of hell. I want him to fulfill Acts, the second chapter, that says your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Lord, I want him to have a godly wife. Lord, I want him to move under the purpose and the place of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I want him to rise up to the call of God that's on his life. And the Holy Spirit let me go for 20 or 30 seconds. And when I finished, the tears were flowing. And I was holding on the steering wheel headed there. And the Holy Spirit said, then pray that way. Pray that way. God meets you at the level of faith. If you ask small, you receive small. See, a prayer for God's favor is, God, I'm asking you not only to turn him around, but let him touch people around the world. Put him in a place of influence on his job. Put him in a place of influence for your purpose and your glory. I began praying that way. I got a call, my wife and I got a call from him a couple nights ago. He goes, hey guys, guess what? I said, what? He said, I haven't graduated yet, but I haven't told you. I've been going through uh, interviews at IBM, and I'm on my third, inter uh, third interview for a job in ma uh, management resource, blah, 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 blah. And he said, we're about to get hired. I'm about to get hired at IBM. And the Holy Spirit said, for a purpose. For a purpose. An ordinary prayer is, God, just help me to make it by this month. Lord, if you can just help me pay the rent. I know some of y'all prayed that just, just this morning. Lord, just help me pay the rent. Now, that's a good prayer. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. For a prayer of favor is, God, I'm asking you to increase me in such a way that as I'm obedient in my tithe and my offering, Lord, as I give in my over and above offering of my tithe, that, Lord, you pour out your favor upon us, that not only can I pray, pay off my house, but I can pay off my mother's house. I can pay off missions. I can do more for them down there in Juarez. Lord, I want to pay off the church. Lord, if you would just do these things, grant me this favor in the name of Jesus, I pray. That's the prayer of favor. Pastor just leaned back and said, my house. I heard him. <laughs> He's not right. <laughs> I know it. An ordinary prayer is God just help me go get me as far as my parents. But a God-sized prayer is, Lord, if you're to tarry, help me take future generations to levels of anointing and healing for your glory. Somebody say with me, the prayer of favor opens closed doors. I'll say it again. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. It all depends on what you believe. Are you a believer? Oh, you didn't hear me. Are you a believer? 
Let me go down a list of the things I believe, and if you hear something you believe, I want you to shout amen. I want you to get excited. I want you to say yes. And in fact, if you get, it's okay to jump up a little bit in this church. I, you know, it, it, just don't sit there. If you hear something that you agree with, go ahead and stand up and shout and give God praise. It all depends on what you believe. See, I believe in God's written word. I believe in God's promises. I believe what God says is true. I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. I believe he descended into the gates of hell, and on the third day he rose again, ascended into heaven, and now sits at the right hand of God the Father. I believe in all 66 books of the Bible. I believe the time is coming when Jesus Christ will return. That is when he will judge the living and the dead, whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. I believe in the whole Holy Spirit, who was sent from the Father to be the mirror image of Jesus Christ on planet Earth until he comes again. I believe in the Holy Christian Church. I believe in the forgiveness of sin. I believe in the life everlasting. I believe in the rapture of the church and the millennial reign. I believe in my time. I will hear the trumpet sound of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air with King Jesus. If you believe like I do, then clap your hands and praise him that my God is still alive, he's still well, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Come on, praise him. Hallelujah. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. You may be seated. Do you have some closed doors you need to begin to pray against? Do you have some things you'd like to see God do? Start praying that way. Second and quickly, the prayer of favor places the hand of God on my life. The prayer of favor places the hand of God on my life. Verse 8, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Nehemiah paid the price in prayer for the hand of God to rest on him. That was the favor. He did not leave his world the same way he found it. I love it when Nehemiah understands that he's been given the blessings for a purpose. And he literally says, the hand of God is what caused the blessing and the purpose. The king granted my request. In Luke 4, 18, Jesus himself said the same thing. The spirit of the Lord is on me. He's just come out of the wilderness experience where he was tempted or tested by Lucifer himself, Satan. He's on his way to start his earthly ministry and he proclaims why the purpose? The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Well, that's the blessing. <laughs> and then he goes on to explain the purpose because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind to set them that are oppressed free. He literally quotes the prophet Isaiah. It was time for his active ministry. So he said, the Spirit of the Lord is up on. When you walk into that job tomorrow, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to change position and move up on. Just move up on. For such a time as this, 
The book of Acts tells the story of a handful of men and women who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, did not leave the world the same way they found it. I don't know about you, but I don't want to leave the world the same way I found it. It was the beginning of a movement that continues to this very day. On the day of Pentecost, about 120 believers were gathered together when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And everywhere they went, they were ridiculed and opposed and persecuted, physically assaulted for their beliefs. Some were put to death. Yet within a period of 30 years, this original group of 120 people and their converts became known as the people who turned the world upside down. Oh, I long for the day when I get a call from Pastor Doug and he says, our community calls us the church that's turned the world upside down. Upside down. We see their fearless preaching and their expectant prayer and willingness to obey. These Christians almost seem radical, but it isn't that they were so radical, it's that we're not radical enough. Too many are living with a watered-down version of the Christian faith. What we see in the book of Acts was meant to be normal Christian activity. And people ask me all the time, could what happened in Acts happen again? Could we see another great movement of the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. It begins with you, and it begins with me. Let me ask you this. What if everyone in the church behaved Monday through Saturday like you do? And live their lives just like you do? How well would the church know the Bible? How many people would be hearing the story of Jesus? I mean, if everybody lived just like you do, what kind of church would CTB? The church is made up of people just like us. And we can make a radical difference. Let me try to wind this down for you because I'm sensing I really got to get you in this altar. In contrast to Nehemiah, the Bible says there was another great man who had the hand of God on him, but he did not even know the Spirit of God had left him. His name was Samson. Did you know that Samson was one of a handful of people who had the angel Gabriel announce his birth? The angel Gabriel, the messenger angel. Michael is the warring angel. Lucifer was the praising angel. But Gabriel announced the birth of Samson. He told his parents that he would be a Nazarite and that he would have the Nazarite vow. Oh, you need to understand also that the Nazarite vow was not only something that was taken in the Old Testament, but there were two other people in the Bible, John the Baptist and Paul, who took the Nazarite vow as well. It was a vow of separation. The Nazarite vow was a time period that you would make a vow to God that you would never touch any alcohol or fruit of the vine, raisins or anything from the vine, that you were separating yourself away to be with God. And it wasn't a long period of time. It was just a, a constructed time period. You wouldn't touch any fruit of the vine or alcohol. You wouldn't touch the dead thing, and you wouldn't cut your hair. And the reason for the hair, it was an outward manifestation of an inward thought process, that my thoughts are on God. I'm trusting him. I'm believing in him. And the angel Gabriel announced to the parents of Samson 
that he shall be an unusually gifted man. He should be a judge of Israel. Well, let me explain that. Because in our Western mentality, when we say a judge, we think Judge Judy. Sitting up on the bench with a black robe. But in the Old Testament, the judges of Israel were amazingly gifted and talented people who God used to turn his judgment back off of the children of Israel, back onto the enemies of Israel. Here's why. Because many times in the choices that they made, they found themselves in judgment with God because of their sin. And God would allow them to go into captivity into Babylon or into Persia until they repented and then he brought them out. And the way he brought them out was he would raise up unusually gifted and talented people for a purpose. To turn the judgment off of the children of Israel back onto the enemies of God. This is what Samson was supposed to do. To turn the judgment of God off of Israel and onto the Philistines. And yet he allowed Satan to pervert the purpose. The gifting that he had was unusual strength. I believe that Samson, it wasn't that he was uh, an Arnold Schwarzenegger figure. It, you know, that we, we picture him as this massive, muscled man. I believe he looks like Stephen Urkel. Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be just like God to say, look, you think he is nothing, but when I come upon him, he's got supernatural strength. Supernatural strength. One-seventh of the time that the phrase is used, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, one-seventh of the time. It only appears, by the way, that phrase only appears in the Bible about 25 to 28 times. One-seventh of the times is talking about Samson. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. And the Bible says that Samson was on his way to sleep with a Philistine woman. See, we, only, we all know about the hair cutting, but we forget that before Samson ever cut his hair with Delilah, he was already dealing with the dead things. He was sleeping with the dead thing. He was partying with the dead thing. And the Bible said as he's on the road to go and hang out with these Philistine women and have sexual relationships with them, a lion jumps out from the forest. And what should have been a reminder that my hand is on your life. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him as a reminder. My hand is on your life, Samson. You are to be set apart. You're a Nazarite. He says, it says that he tore the lion as if it was a lamb, and he left it there, but he allowed the enemy to pervert the purpose of the gifting, and he said, well, if God is with me, well, you know, I'll, I'll just go on and do what I'm going to do. God's blessed me. I'm gifted. I'm talented. But Samson did not understand the concept or the doctrine that God's grace can be trampled. See, there are all kinds of people now that are teaching that grace covers a multitude of sin. And yes, grace does. But listen, there is an end to grace, and grace can be trampled. We don't like to talk about that. If you don't believe me, just look at the life of Samson. The Bible says he went and he slept with these women and he partied with them. Samson had a party that lasted about three to four months. Can you imagine? Every day, three to four months, there's no way you could have a party that lasts that long without some alcohol being involved. And he comes back, and he's headed back home, and he's passing the carcass of this dead animal, and he notices that the bones have been bleached. 
I've been told that it takes a good three to six months to have bones bleached on an animal. So we're dealing with a time frame of God's grace. He notices that a honeycomb has attached itself to the bones of this animal. He reaches in the audacity to reach in and touch the dead thing. And then he puts it to his mouth and he eats it. So not only is he sleeping with the dead thing, but he's touching the dead thing. He has alcohol, all because he's allowed Satan to pervert the purpose. And what should have been a reminder, my hand is on your life. God says, okay. And he lifts his hand, and he lays his head in the lap of Delilah. Now, you can't blame Delilah because she was honest with him. She says, Samson, Sammy boy, can you tell me the secret of your strength that I might afflict you? Listen, if your girl says she's going to afflict you, you got a problem. And he jokes, oh, you're going to flick me? And he says, you know, well, this, the." And finally she wears him down, and he cuts his hair, and God says, that's it. You just cut the outward manifestation of your inward commitment. Remember I told you God never takes the gifts of man, but he removes his hand. And the presence of the Lord, whew, and Samson did not even know that the Spirit of God had left him. I want you to answer this question. If the Holy Spirit were to lift off of your life, would you know it? Would you miss him? Would you feel it? Sad to say that there are many right now in churches across America that the alternative Holy technology is the alternative Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit were to lift off the church, I wonder how many would miss him. Samson's life was squandered. Could have been one of the greatest leaders in the history of Israel. His life was one of squandered resources and wasted potential and ability. He threw it away because he made some subtle but serious mistakes. As is typical of someone trapped in sin, Samson ignored the warnings of those around him, believing that no one understood until he woke up one day and it was too late. And the Bible says the Philistines took him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. Literally, they treated him like an ox and he began to grind out the the mill, the the, the, uh, wheat mill there. And this is what sin does. It blinds you, it finds you, and then it grinds you. First of all, it blinds you. Sin causes people to do completely irrational things. I mean, you look back at your life when you were not serving the Lord, and you say, was I out of my mind? Yes. Have you ever seen an old boyfriend or old girlfriend in the mall, and you see them coming towards you, and you hide? I did that once in the mall. I saw her coming. I looked and I said, dear Lord Jesus. I jumped in the closest store. Didn't realize it was a Victoria's Secret. And I'm looking. (laughs) Did she see me? 
And I said, Lord, was I out of my mind? Yes. That's what sin does. It blinds you. Don't be deceived by sin. It comes knocking on the door. Don't answer. It's a lie. You're being blinded. Next sin finds you. There might be an almost euphoric experiment, excitement, the first time you cross that line, right? The very first time you drink that alcohol is a euphoric feeling. The first time you look at that pornography, it's that euphoric feeling. The first time you might have that affair and you work it out to where you're going to meet and, and, and you try to keep it silent and you know you shouldn't because you're a married person, but like Samson, you say, I'm gifted, I'm talented, I, it's, no one's going to find it out. And it's that euphoric feeling, that first sexual encounter. You take the bait and then you think you're getting away with it. But the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. And you know, we read that in Numbers 32 and 23, and we think it's talking about a world, but really, Pastor Moses is talking about to the, to the two and a half tribes of Israel, Reuben, Manasseh, and Gad, who were living halfway Christianity. Well, that's for another time. It's going to find you, and then sin is going to grind you. And you eventually pay a miserable price. You know it's expensive to sin. How many remember back in the old life? It's expensive to sin. But more expensive than you think. Your marriage is broken. Trust is betrayed. A witness is damaged. Your reputation goes down the tubes. Children can be devastated, You're carrying deep wounds, mostly, most likely the rest of your, their life. Perhaps there's a diagnosis of AIDS or a sexually transmitted disease. Depending on what you have done, there even be, is maybe jail time. Don't be blinded by sin. Look at Samson. And the Bible says that God's grace is amazing, that as Samson paying the price, his hair begins to come back, and he prays the prayer of favor. He says, Lord, can you do me one more favor? Lord, please do me one more favor. What is it, son? Judges 16 and 28. Sovereign Lord, now, I want you to picture Samson. His eyes are gouged out. His hair is now starting to grow back. He's literally laying in the corner of a jail cell, of a Philistine jail cell, with chains all over him. And he prays, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Hey, God, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just one more time and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Prayer is the prayer of favor that opens closed doors. He prayed the prayer of favor for the Spirit of the Lord to come upon him. They led him to a Philistine temple and God restores Samson's strength 
Samson standing between two pillars of the temple pushes and he pulls the pillars apart. The temple collapses and Samson killed more Philistines in one moment than he killed in his entire lifetime. And we say, yay, way to go, Samson. That's wonderful. Yes, Samson did have the last word, so to speak, but he also died with his enemies. Did God give him a second chance? Yes. Was it a sad ending? Yes. Could it have been so much better? Yes. But thank God that he still pardons sin. That doesn't mean we won't reap the consequences of what we have done. Oh, there are consequences. Still, God gives second chances. And we all have our failures and our sins, but the question is, can we learn from our mistakes? Can we fail forward and not fall into the same trap? Listen, gang, are you squandering your life right now on someone or something that has a spiritually destructive effect on your life? Are you flirting with sin? Watch out and learn the lesson of Samson. You see, God never said when you pray, you should make sure it's all logical and reasonable and that you've got it all figured out. Instead, he encourages us to just believe and stay in faith. And that's what allows God to do the extraordinary. In closing, here's another eternal question. Have you talked yourself out of a dream? Have you convinced yourself that you'll never overcome certain challenges? Do you believe that your church has reached its peak and, well, we can't expect any more than this? Could it be your perspective is keeping you out of the promised land? What if your dreams aren't happening because you're not being bold enough to ask? What if your dreams are being hindered because you're not honoring the Holy Spirit Monday through Saturday? Husbands, to honor your wife. Wives, honoring your husbands. Could it be that miracles are being hindered in this church? Because we have yet to learn to honor God Monday through Saturday. Oh, I believe God wants to do amazing things in this place. How many say amen to that? Amazing things. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. God says, would you dare to believe? Quit praying weak prayers. Let's begin to pray the prayer of faith. I want you to stand all over the room right now. I want you to look right here. Do you know that there are things that I pray about in my private life that I've never told a single person? Not even the love of my life, my wife. She is the love of my life. And there are some things that I've never told her that I pray about. Those are my secret petitions before God. If I shared them, you'd look at me and say, are you serious? Do you really think that could happen? And I'd look back at you and say, 
the fact is, they may not all come to pass, but if I don't reach my highest potential, it should not be because I didn't ask God. I've had many things that I have prayed for not come to pass, but I've never had something come to pass that I didn't first pray about. I want you to look around this room. Do you realize you're sitting in an auditorium that some people thought would never happen? When you walk out this building, there are several buildings on this campus. I want you to look at them. They are memorials because there were some people that thought they would never happen. And yet someone had the audacity to pray the prayer of favor. The prayer of favor. And God said, here you go. I got a purpose. That purpose is to win the loss. That purpose is for my glory. Not for just your ice cream social. Not just so you can sit around and laugh and have fun. Oh, we do those things too. Don't let the devil steal the purpose. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.